Welcome into Hardcore Penn State Football. Three commits in one week. We have another commit to talk to you about today in the 2023 class. We have media day for the Rose Bowl to talk about. A lot of sound bites, if you will, from, from the athletic director, Pat Kraft, and James Franklin, as well as some players, including one player who decided to declare for the NFL draft and a new transfer as well. So a lot to talk about today. Early signing day, just a couple days away. So we will get right into it. Hot and heavy show to prepare you for Wednesday. Hope you're ready. Penn State football. I'm Corey Lestoki. With me, as always, the great Sean Kane. How are you doing today, Sean? Easy like Sunday. <clears throat> easy Whoa. like Sunday morning, Corey. How are you? Almost not easy like Sunday morning. Yeah, almost, almost. <laughs> I'm doing well. I'm doing well. We uh, had a kind of lazy day Saturday, and it was fantastic. I mean, we got a couple things done, but. Pretty lazy day around here. What about you? Yeah, we had a Christmas party last night uh, over over Mike's house, who we've had on the show. Um, fun time, fun time as as it always is. Uh, I got a uh, well. The the part that wasn't fun was watching the Dolphins lose again. Close. Uh, it makes it worse. It makes it worse. I'd rather get blown out. I I honestly didn't watch it to be to be real with you. I was yeah. going against um, what's his name? Dawson Knox. Is that it? Dawson. Yeah, he had a good game. He he tore me a new one against my fantasy. I think he ended up with like twenty one points or something like that. So that wasn't very helpful. But it's early. I don't want to jinx it. But I think I'm I'm probably going to advance in both of my fantasy league playoffs. So. Congratulations. Probably jinx it now. Don't get but, too ahead uh, of yourself. You'll end up like the Colts did yesterday. That's true. Well, I had Kirk Cousins from both of my leagues. Oh. And although he had those two interceptions, the four touchdown passes and 300 yards made up for it. So, 
Yeah, I, I was a it was a ba- it was a back and forth day there, but uh, and then I had Justin Jefferson in one league, so yeah, things are looking things are looking good. But do you think do you think somebody like James Franklin or really any coach that's been through, you know, who's had to coach at places like Idaho and be like just low level coaches? Do you think they look at Jeff Saturday? And just go, how does this guy get a head coaching job coming off the streets at ESPN? Yeah. Because he's, and he's so bad. <laughs> I no, mean, I just, obviously, he, he never coached before. I love the coincidence of the fact that all of these come from behind wins are against Matt Ryan, too. I think that's pretty hysterical. Yeah. I mean, how many times can you lose by being up by that much. I mean, it's it's honestly at this point kind of freaky. Yeah, and yeah, because the thing is, even though it's the biggest point differential, it's still not his biggest choke job yet. It's still not his biggest blown le- as as far as the magnitude goes. Definitely, mag- yeah, yeah, which is just nuts. But um, it's funny. I know, um, shout out to Donnie, kind of a family friend of mine, came down here for the Auburn game, actually. He actually I took him. Donnie Collins. No, but always Donnie Collins too. Um, yes. But but Donnie's flight got rerouted when he came down to Auburn, and I think he Ubered from like, I don't know. If, I I think it was from Montgomery. I don't think it was from Birmingham, but I'm not sure. All the way to Auburn, he Uber, had to Uber all the way there, which I thought was just nuts. But um, he's a Colts fan, so. Oof. Yeah. A lot of talk about today, Sean. We have there is there is um, we have a new commit that we're going to get to in just a second. I guess I can throw up. I don't have it up yet, Um, but we have a new commit that we need to talk about. We've got a new transfer. I don't know if we discussed the Alex Falcons, the kicker. Nope. So we need to discuss him, too, because that happened a while ago. I, I know we tweeted about it, but I don't think we actually discussed it on the pod so we have two specialists we need to discuss you guys sent us a bunch of fan questions this week it's amazing how sometimes i i I just blame twitter's algorithm honestly because sometimes we'll get like three or four and then sometimes we'll get 20 and we got 20 this week or something stupid like that a lot of the questions you asked i think we're going to answer throughout the show without necessarily answering it during the fan question portion um so if you're like whoa you didn't answer my question well we'll probably get to it in the recruiting realm of things. So just just be patient with us. But otherwise, um, yeah, we, we got a lot to talk about. Let me get the uh, show schedule up here for you so I don't forget anything. Sean, a lot came out of media day. Uh, we, we know yeah. some guys that are going to play. We know uh, some potential Beaver Stadium updates. We know some... Just Pat Kraft updates in general about life. I mean, he pretty much talked about everything except for the birds and the bees. So we'll, we'll talk about some of the things he mentioned. Obviously, the relationship between him and, and James Franklin seems night and day between the relationship between Franklin and Sandy Barber. So take that for what you will. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I listen to Pat Kraft. He is just so... So much more transparent than we've ever seen in the athletic department. I think that alone is a welcome change from 
not just Sandy, but the past regimes as well. I don't think there's very many, and, and this is just speculation, but I don't think there's that many athletic directors that seem to be as point blank as Pat Kraft has come off. I mean, he's like straight up like, I think Audrey Snyder asked the follow-up question. We'll get into it more again a little bit later. But Audrey Snyder asked the follow-up question. And was like, why are you being so honest with us? This was basically what the question was. And he's like, well, I mean, it's a fact. Like, I'm just going to tell you the facts if they're the facts. Like, I mean, there's, there's nothing else to hide. So I thought that was kind of an interesting moment in the uh, in the press conference. We'll get into uh, a five-star review. We did hit our 100 reviews, Sean. We're actually at 101 right now. Um, so thank you guys for getting that done. Now we can push towards 200. But uh, we appreciate it tremendously. Pizza party, maybe this Wednesday, Sean? Let's do it. Let's well, do when, it. Uh, well, uh, I'm thinking what we'll do is two things. We'll put it on Twitter. I'll get pizza, get pizza for you over there. I'll get pizza for for here, and then I think we'll we'll randomly choose somebody. We'll do a giveaway, a pizza party giveaway, and we will we'll we'll take care of one person's household for pizza for the night. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah, that sounds awesome. I am. Very excited for the pizza party and just eating pizza on here with you, Corey. Yeah, so we'll let's 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 aim for that on Wednesday. So I'll put out on Twitter today, probably a giveaway. I'll do two things. I'll we'll do like make sure you have to retweet and and and, and follow the account, and then one person will win a merchandise item of their choice, and one person will win the pizza party. And we'll we'll I guess we'll announce that or we'll decide all of that before the show on Wednesday night. So if you're on Twitter at Hardcore PSUFB, that's that's the place to be for uh, to get into the giveaway. Again, we'll give away a merch item and then we'll. I mean, I'm going to I guess I should cap it by saying I'm not going to if you have like 18 kids, I'm not paying for pizza for 18 kids. But, you know, we can be reasonable about that. Uh, but we'll, we'll get a pizza party for 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 somebody that's been listening to us. Uh, we appreciate you guys. So that was cool that we hit that. You guys came in strong. Like, I don't, I guess we sounded desperate enough, but you guys, you guys answered the bell. It went from like 94 to like 101 pretty quickly. So thank you there. Fan questions again. We just kind of talked about that. And then transfer portal and recruiting news. I mean, got a lot to discuss there as well. So um, let's start w- w- with the big one, right? The, the, the enchilada, if you will. And that is a commitment. We need some like a noise thing there. We'll have to work on the noise thing for next year. Maybe that'll be one of our goals, Sean. Yeah, soundboard of some kind. Yeah, I know I can do it, but getting it so you can hear it as well is going to be the tricky part. But we'll figure it out. Um, But Penn State lands a commitment that's 20... Second commitment from the 2023 class in linebacker Kavion Keys. I believe is a four-star unanimous across all the recruiting boards. But we're definitely going to consider him a four-star guy. Linebacker from Virginia. I think he's like the 15th best in, in the state of, uh, or linebackers in the country, and the fifth best from the state of Virginia. Penn State has got, according to 24-7 Sports, six out of the ten uh top players from the state of Virginia. So the Virginia pipeline is very, very strong right now. Uh, This is a big commit. 
This is the third true linebacker in this class. It it does a couple of things. Number one, you have Tony Rojas, you have Tamir Robinson, and you have Kavion Keys, which is just, I think, the best linebacking class that James Franklin has ever recruited. It's just it's just very talented. Um, but the second best thing it does is it lets potentially Dakari Nelson, the safety in this class, to stay at safety um, instead of playing at linebacker, which he thought he might do. So I, I think you see Dakari Nelson stay at safety now. He's had a really good year uh, for Selma High School at safety. So, yeah, I, I think now you can play KVI. And, and also, like, Sean, we don't – you know, Penn State isn't looking like – they're desperately going to need all these guys to play next year too. So you can have some flexibility there, but I mean, Tony Rojas, Kavion keys in the Sam or will spots, most likely Tamir Robinson looking like he could be playing in the middle. Um, but a lot of good depth, but also some really star studded talent that could really, you know, Kavion keys could be a, a household name uh, for this, for this Penn state squad in the next couple of years. What are your thoughts, Sean? Yeah, this is yeah, this is a kid that we've talked about since really I came on the pod. He's been on the radar and a guy that um, if we were to add, we would have been really excited about because of what he brings to the football field. He's got speed. He's got a big frame, sort of like Tamir Robinson in that way. Um, now, um, he's played in a three four defense in high school where he where he came off the edge. So. You know, we obviously run a 4-3, but, um, you know, it's kind of going to be like a reverse Micah situation where he played a 4-3 in college and then he plays 3-4 in the NFL. So it's going to be, he's going to be kind of in that mold where I think you're going to see him blitz a lot. Um, But yeah, he's 6-3, 205. So obviously he's going to get bigger than 205. He can't, he's got to be bigger, but he will. And I, I'm not sure if he's enrolling early or not. I, w- I would like to see him enroll early, but I'm not sure if he's doing that. Um, so, so yeah, this is this is a really he has a really fun uh, huddle, uh, really fun huddle videos to watch um, because he is one of these guys um, like the two previous commits that we just had that just loves to get after the quarterback. So. Really excited about this kid. Happy we stuck with him. And James Franklin's work uh, has paid off. And being able to land a really good prospect, another guy from the state of Virginia where we've really cleaned up this year. I think it was Tyler Calvaruso at 24-7 Sports that said, he could add 20 pounds and probably not even lose any of his athletic ability. So definitely has the right frame to, to build on without losing some of that speed. And it's, I mean, think about what Abdul Carter did uh, this year, as far as rushing the passer goes. And then Kavion keys, I don't want to say has more experience, but like I said, in that three, four, maybe a little bit more experience rushing the passer already. I mean, it could be it could be pretty exciting. And you brought up the the uh, early enrollees. We don't really know. Maybe you know more than I do. I know Jackson Smolak, the quarterback, is 100% early enrollee. But as far as like, I don't know. We haven't talked a lot yet, and maybe we can come back on Wednesday and discuss it a little bit more um, and get a true number. But I'm not aware of how many of these 2022 commit 20. 
2023 commits uh, plan to enroll early yet? I'm really not either. Uh, I, I just, yeah, I'm really not either. So yeah, like you said, on Wednesday, we'll come back because I'm sure somebody has a write up of that, of who's in planning to enroll early and who's, who will be, because I mean, if they are enrolling early, they're going to be there in two weeks. So right. we're going to know yeah. soon. Yeah. It's, it's going to happen very soon. And and also I think that's a good time period because we'll actually know who, who officially signs and we'll, we'll get to the 2023 class as a whole a little bit later in the show, but um, yeah, I, I, I mean that KB on keys was one of the ones, Sean, that we were both like back in the summer, we really, really both wanted, right? Like we were like, we, if Penn state is able to, to get KB on keys, that'd be huge for this class. And, and they are able to, so credit the staff there, even with, you know, you could argue some pretty young, depth already at Penn State and then you already have Robinson and Rojas didn't matter I, I think he's even said like he wants to play and compete with with some of the best so um, I think they're getting a really solid a solid player with a, maybe the right mindset going into a room that already has some young guys but I mean you saw what Abdul Carter did if, if you're able to make plays and make splash plays there is room for you right I mean there's guys there and there's young guys there but if you're able to make plays and grow and you can step up and 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 take a role pretty quickly. And, and we saw that last year with Abdul Carter or this year with Abdul Carter. Yeah, and not just Abdul Carter, a bunch of young guys have played this year. Um, I think. Uh, what was the number? It was like around 15 players have played and. A bunch of them have burnt their red shirts. So that means they played in more than four games. So, um, yeah, Penn State is a place that if you're good enough when you step on campus, they're going to play you. And James Franklin is serious about making everybody feel uncomfortable. And that means, and a lot of older guys may feel offended that a, that a freshman is playing over them, but that's just going to be the way it is. And I think that's the right approach. You have to take that approach. Yeah, and just because I might forget about it later, I wanted to mention it now. And I think this actually came, uh, I think it was Stacy Collins said in, in the interview, I guess it would have been maybe a, a little bit ago. I, don't, I wasn't this past in a press conference where I wanted to give some love to Keon Wiley. Because Stacey Collins said Keon Wiley wasn't healthy at the beginning of summer, and so he really fell behind uh, to a certain degree because he missed some of those valuable reps at the beginning of summer and then the beginning of the season. So uh, Stacey Collins said Keon Wiley has really turned it on the last month or so. So that's that's another positive sign for this linebacking core where, again, we were concerned about it going into this year, and it, it's really felt like it's done a 180 since that time. And we don't know yet what, about Curtis Jacobs, but it, I mean, it's hard to not feel a lot better about this class as we move into 2023. Yeah, and we talked about it on, I think, a couple episodes ago now. I think linebacker is a chance to be a real strength in the team next year. And especially if uh, Curtis Jacobs can come back, um, yeah, I, I think they have a real shot to to be something. 
Um, and yeah, like I said, Ki Wiley is kind of a forgotten guy this year a little bit because he just didn't get a whole lot of playing time. But I mean, like like we've said before, that happens. He's a freshman, and not every freshman is ready to play out of the box. Not every freshman is a dual carter. Uh, most freshmen, like Kobe King, I don't think played a whole lot. He, he didn't play a whole lot as a freshman. I don't know if he played at all. Um, same thing with Tyler Elston. And, you know, they, by the end of the year, I think they were playing, they were playing pretty well. So that's going to happen sometimes. So he's going to add at least some depth to the room next year, uh, along with these three freshmen we have coming in. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, we can get to the specialists now, but again, a big commit for the Penn State 2023 class. We'll pretty much focus on a 2023 class, and and we'll uh, start focusing on a 2024 class more starting in January. That's kind of what also what James Franklin said that the staff is kind of doing too. Um, Jacob Sparrow on YouTube says, "Good morning." Woke up to the Nick Tarburton news. Had to come here to get the spirits back up. Uh, good morning to you, Jacob Sparrow. If you're on YouTube, hey, drop us a you know drop us a comment. Say hi. Uh, make sure you've liked the video and also have subscribed to the channel. Uh, I guess we can break the news now since Jacob Sparrow just did it, because why not? Um, and yeah, Nick Tarburton, defensive end, declaring for the NFL draft, will not use that additional year, but will be playing in the Rose Bowl. He let us know via Instagram. And I think it's probably the right decision as far as I don't I mean, he was listed as a starter the whole year, Sean, but Chob Robinson out snapped him. I don't know even if if Adisa Isaac decides to come back, I don't know if he'd be able to even hold off deny Dennis Sutton next year, given deny Dennis Sutton a full year in the weight room. I that doesn't seem likely. Um and then, of course, more freshmen coming in, Jamil Lyons coming. I mean, all of a sudden, it'd be, and obviously Mason Robinson and, and Joseph Mapoye, too, now. It just seems like that room was getting more and more crowded. And Nick Tarburton has the size to be a every-down defensive end in the NFL. Like He has the ability to help and run support. He's shown some moments and flashes of rushing the passer. Did it did well against Northwestern, for example, in that department. I don't know how much more of a ceiling he 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 really or how much further he could have really climbed, given the limited amount of snaps. And hey, have a really good Rose Bowl. Leave it all in the field. And and with his size and his stature, I, I wouldn't be shocked to see Nick Tarburton get drafted in the NFL. Yeah, I mean, he's very he, he was very good for us against the run. Um, that's kind of his calling card is is run defense from the defensive end position, and that's that's valuable. And um, yeah, like you said, he he was he's, he's a decent pass rusher. He's not going to knock your socks off, but he's he's decent. And um, he didn't play on third down a whole lot for us, but. I think a lot of that is the product of having guys like Adisa Isaac and Chop Robinson uh, available. But yeah, he played a little bit better this year for us than I thought that than it, than I thought he would, and that's a big credit to him. So, um, very happy that we'll have him for the Rose Bowl, and uh, of course, we wish him the best of luck. 
Yeah, well, let's switch over now. Let's talk specialists. I don't know how we we, we didn't talk about this, I guess, back when it happened. We I know we tweeted about it quite a bit because we saw that Stacey Collins and James Franklin were following Alex Falcons on Twitter. And then literally, I think like a couple of days later, he ended up committing. Uh, but kicker Alex Falcons, graduate transfer from Columbia, he is joining the program. Led the Ivy League in touchbacks and in points scored by a kicker. He's made, I think, three 50-plus yard field goals. Uh, just was a kickoff specialist and a place kicker for Columbia. Uh, three years as a starter there. And people are wondering, well, why are they adding kickers? Well, A, we don't know what Jake Pinnegar is doing yet. I would argue this probably means Jake Pinnegar is moving on. Uh, but you also only have one other true kicker in Xander Sahadak, and you always won competition there. So uh, bringing in Falcons, bringing in a senior guy like that helps maybe a younger guy in Sahadak along a little bit. And it, it seems like the thing that maybe got Stacy Collins, and I know James Franklin salivating, is probably the touchbacks, right? Like anytime he sees somebody doing good things on touchbacks, I think James Franklin probably a light bulb goes off and James Franklin said he loves touchbacks. He does. He does. <clears throat> yeah, he does. You could argue that uh, it's the thing that <laughs> maybe got him the most fired up every press conference was not being able to put the ball in the end zone consistently because uh, that was something that we just we didn't. I mean, we saw. I don't think the kickoffs were as bad as maybe he led on to believe, but I think they're just told put it in the end zone every time. And that's it. Don't think about directional kicks or any of that stuff. Just put the ball in the end zone. I think they have a very simple philosophy there. And this this guy led the Ivy League in touchbacks. And, um, you know, you could compare that a lot. You could compare that a lot more with playing in the Big Ten than, like, other positions. Like, if we brought in a quarterback and it said, oh, he led the Ivy League in yards. Well, okay, he's playing against Ivy League defenders, though, and how many yards is that? Whereas you could look at how many touchbacks this kid had in the Ivy League and compare him to other guys in the Big Ten. Compare him to other guys that you have on your roster. So that's so that's valuable. And, yeah, I think a lot of the people – I think – I hear people when they say, well, why do we have so many scholarship specialists? I mean, maybe they're not too thrilled with their, with the situation with the specialists right now. Maybe Sahay, maybe they're not too thrilled from what they see with Sahadak. And uh, when we get to the punter Baquetta, maybe they want to see better. And just because we brought these guys in doesn't necessarily mean they're going to start over them. But like Corey said, it will at least be some competition to push them. And I think competition's a good thing. So, um, so yeah, I'm happy to see us active in the portal with specialists. Yeah, and anyone that's, like, doubting this, I just want you to go back to that Ohio State game where we saw just, I mean, that just encompasses exactly why you need to keep getting specialists. I mean, the the two missed field goals, then they decide to go for it. Like, that shenanigans. You can't have that. Uh, and then to come right back in that game and him to hit a longer field goal later in that game. 
that inconsistency is exactly why you want to keep going out there. And and again, a, a senior guy, a guy who has a lot of experience, has maybe been through the ups and downs of a kicking life in the college world, and Alex Falcons. I think this is a solid a solid get. Again, I I don't think it made sense to go get a younger guy because you already have Xander Sahadak. I think now you you supply some veteran leadership to the room, especially if Jake Pinnaker decides to leave. Um, I, I think that's a smart move there. Let, let's move on to the punter. I, I I guess it's not. I think we've had an Australian punter before. I can't remember his name. Pascarella. Pascarella. Thank you. Uh, but Riley Tompkins, Australian punter, originally from Mentone, Australia. I don't know where that is. So I, I was fortunate enough to live in Australia for two years. I don't know if you knew that, Sean. Is there and anywhere you didn't live in the world? I've I've never lived in a lot of places, but Australia is not one of them. Interesting. I don't know where. I'm going to look it up. I have no idea where Mentone, Australia is. And I'm not that I'm a genius as far as so, everywhere, but how how did the seasons work down there? It's so it's currently summer for them. Okay, yeah, I didn't know if that was just like a rumor that we always grew up with, if it was just like an urban legend. So it's real. Oh, it's a it's southern hemisphere's flip flopped. So okay. you got a actually. Do you know why that's the case? A little scientific fact for you. Probably because of the way the Earth rotates i don't know it is because of the slight angle on the axis that the earth is on so if our earth was perfectly straight up and down we wouldn't have any seasons but because of that slight tilt that causes the seasons interesting you learn yep. something new every day that's what i'm here for um okay so so mentone is so he's actually in the victoria state if you will they don't call them states, but so he's in the very, very southern part of the continental part of Australia. So he's not in Tasmania, but he's in like the very southern, southernest point or almost southernest point of Australia, close to Melbourne. He's, he's outside of Melbourne. So um, I've been there before. Um, but anyway, did you, see, did you see kangaroos? The kangaroos are all over the place, dude. That's what my brother said. He visited there and he was like, oh, yeah, they're all they just walk around. <laughs> they're like they're worse than deer. I mean, yeah, they're it's that's a dangerous how many too. kangaroos there are. Um, Riley Tompkins came from Australia. Now we know exactly where. Went to FAU, punted a bunch for FAU this year. I think his average was in a top twelve in the country last year as a freshman, which is pretty incredible. I think this could be a secret, really, really awesome get by the staff when it's all said and done. Uh, this guy had 26 punts inside the 20. He had a long of 71, but he had multiple longs in a high 50. So he can punt the hell out of it. He can finesse it inside the 20. And he has three years of eligibility. I know there's some question marks on Twitter about that. I thought um, he didn't. I thought he only had one. No, he has three. I don't know where the one came from. At least what 24-7 sports is, re- is reporting. It said three. Okay. Yeah, I hope it's three. He's only so he was born in 2000, and he was a freshman for FAU. I thought the reasoning was he because he played in Australia and 
I don't know. But as far as as far as what I saw and, and two different news outlets said he has three years of eligibility. Okay. Yeah. I mean maybe. But I've seen uh, in multiple places too that he only has one. But yeah. I don't know. I don't know why they would list him as a freshman if he didn't have that doesn't make sense to me. But then like I said again, um I've I've seen where people said three years. So we'll double we'll keep an eye on that. But I would surprise me, Sean, that they would go get a guy who only has one year left. I don't think that would make as much sense. Knowing you have, you know, at least a couple guys you could ask to punt next year. Um, and with Alex Paqueta there and the Wusu, I just, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me to bring in like a, a one year guy at that position. And like I said, I mean, I mean, this guy's going to be a stud. I mean, I think Alex Paqueta is going to really have to battle to get us to earn the spot next year. Um, Barney and War will be gone. Uh, yeah, I, I think this guy is going to be the real deal. So it's going to be it's going to be a battle there, which will be which will be fun. Again, we just talked about competition. I think this guy brings in the competition, Sean. Yeah, I would say he's probably the favorite to start next year um, at at this point in time. And there's going to be competition. And like we said, the word competition <laughs> a lot so far, but there is. And that's a good thing. And no matter what, and I think Tompkins has to be the early favorite. He was a freshman All-American. And when you have that title already going into a going into a room, yeah, I think that gives you an edge. And Baquetta was one of, if not the best puncher in America out of high school. So when you have that going up against a freshman All-American, I mean, that's pretty pretty ideal situation for trying to figure out uh, for trying to um, figure out the punting the punter spot. So. Happy, so I'm happy we landed them. Uh, I am curious to see. We won't know this until after the bowl game, in in all likelihood, how the scholarship shake out, how the scholarship numbers shake out uh, with the recruiting class and with guys going to the NFL. So right now, I'm it's you can't really tell because you just don't know who who, who we're going to have coming back next year. But you will in a few weeks. I need to double or I need to clarify something because I spelled it wrong because I'm an idiot. Not Tompkins, Thompson. I think I have Tompkins mm. on the graphic. Yeah, Thompson. Riley Thompson. So I apologize there. Riley Thompson. So 24-7 Sports by Kevin Fielder four days ago said he had three years of eligibility. Then Daniel Gallon comes back 17 hours ago and says he only has one year of eligibility. So the Collegian said one year, too. Yeah. So we'll keep an eye on that. Again, to me, I don't really understand why he would be listed as a freshman by FAU, even if he was, you know, that doesn't make sense. Like, you put how many years left? You don't put, you know, I don't know. If I've, I don't know, I have a, an example of how I would compare that, but it just doesn't make sense to put freshman if it's their last year. <laughs> it's college football. won't make sense anymore. So we'll, do, we'll keep an eye on that. We'll see if we can get 100% clarification. I guess I understand that, and I don't know, who, you know, what exactly he did in Australia, but um, but we'll see if we can get double clarification as far as that uh, before 
maybe even before the end of the show. Um, Is it Australia or Australia? Australia. 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 So don't emphasize the U at all. Australia, Australia. It's probably Australia a little bit. Yeah, because I because I think you say it like Australians do. I I also am terrible about pronouncing things as we get to the fan questions a little bit later. So yeah, that's just my morbid curiosity. Don't take my don't take you know take everything I say for a grain of salt because I say things. I've been around the world so much I've picked up little things from like everywhere. So I just say everything incorrectly now. <laughs> you think it'd make you like more well versed with all the different words? No, it just all gets thrown into a blender and it all comes out worse especially being down in the south that has not helped me at all being down here as far <laughs> as far as that is concerned um okay uh okay media day time sean i don't have any graphics so i guess we'll just stay on this page for now but i know you're giddy about pat craft so i guess i'll let you just kind of take the take the reins on this one what what Overall, what did you like from Pat Craft? Was there anything that really stood out to you that you want to talk about? Yeah, uh, like I said, his transparency. I think that was pretty cool. Just straight up saying, yeah, we have 92,000 season ticket holders. And I mean, honestly, I didn't know why that was such a big secret for all these years. Like, let's say 92,000 out of your 107,000 seat stadium are season ticket holders. I think that's pretty cool. <laughs> like, most stadiums don't hold 92,000 people and we have 92,000 people who pay for season tickets every year. I mean, I think that's a big credit to the fan base and how passionate they are. I don't know why you wouldn't emphasize that. I don't know why it was a big state secret. Um, thought it was interesting just, and he also mentioned just like how, it's a big adjustment for everybody in the NIL era to do all the things that used to be illegal, but to be like, oh, these are legal now. Not only are they legal, these, these, this is what you have to do if you want your program, any program, uh, football, basketball, wrestling, if you want them to compete at a national level, like you have to do this stuff. You have to do the collectives and uh, be able to raise money for your athletes. So he just seems like a very 21st century and 2020 uh, decade, uh, specifically uh, ready athletic director compared to what we had in the past. And, you know, I, and Corey and I discussed in the Sandy Barber uh, podcast that she got too much hate sometimes, but I understand why she had criticism in other ways because transparency, the energy that Pat Craft brings, it just, it just wasn't there at Sandy. And I, I think this guy is just so focused and so in line with James Franklin, like James Franklin and Pat Craft actually sit with, sit next to each other on the team airplane when they go on road games. And I just don't think that happened in the past with past athletic directors and not just Sandy, but any of them, I think it was more like, okay, Sandy Barber is James Franklin's boss. Then there's James Franklin. And I think they were very like pecking order specific. And don't get me wrong. Pat Kraft, I think would not hesitate to fire a coach. that's not getting a job done, but while they're here, 
it's important to be in alignment with them and to try to give them everything they could to win a national championship. And Pat Kraft said, he, he straight up said that he had told James Franklin before, I need to know what you need to win a national championship. And I think that's just music to all Penn State fans' ears because that's all we really, like, whether you, you loved Sandy or you didn't love Sandy, that's what all of us want is an athletic director that wants to do everything it takes to win a national championship. And, oh, also, Beaver Stadium. He seems really passionate about wanting to keep Beaver Stadium. So for all you out there that really want to keep it, it sounds like Packraft agrees with you. Oh, and there were also 19 studies done in the past five or six years on the status of Beaver Stadium. And I, I have a lot of questions about that. I'm like, why did we pay for 19 studies and none of us know any of this information? Who was paid? Who did these studies? What did they find out? Like, <laughs> we just, these are just things that happened and I, I, I don't know. I have no idea what, what, what went on there. And I don't even know who did these studies. And that just speaks to the lack of transparency that was always there with the athletic department. Yeah. It's been a while since that first, like, uh, model Beaver Stadium renovation came out back in 2016 or 2017, whatever it was. I mean, it's been a long time since then. So, you know, who knows what was all going down. Jacob Sparrow wants to know if you know Steve Irwin real quick. I think we've talked about Steve Irwin on this podcast before, but do you know yeah, Steve Irwin? Him? I didn't meet him, but I did. I was able to see him in person before he died. Really? Yeah, yeah. Oh, so you were down there back then? Yeah, yep. And he, he actually died when we were living in Australia. But um, Guy's a legend. Crazy dude. I thought Sandy Barber was very careful about how she tiptoed around things. Calculated, maybe, to a certain degree. You know, Pat Crabb is more of a bull in a china shop kind of vibe. Like, he's coming in, and he's going to make noise, and he doesn't really seem to care. Sandy was very precise about what she said and didn't say. And most of the time, it was what she didn't say. There was more from what she didn't say than what she said most of the time. Uh... And I think at the time, at least earlier in her tenure, I think that was maybe even the right approach, given where Penn State was and, and all that. And we've talked about that before back in the summer. But now I think it is the time to, to rev the engines up to get, especially with NIL, especially with Beaver Stadium meeting renovated, uh, especially with the way coaches are being poached nowadays. This is the time to go full swing. And I think Pat Kraft is the guy that, you know, you want, you know, batting cleanup for your program. And so we'll, we'll see what actually happens, but he's making a lot of the right noise. And noise is noise, but at least it's the right noise, and we'll see. Yeah, the Beaver Stadium, I mean, he was like straight up, I thought what was interesting too was a lot of the talk has been about winterizing Beaver Stadium. And like if Penn State had to host a, a playoff game this year, he was like, we would play it at Beaver Stadium, make no doubt about it. He said, we would leave the water running if we had to, but we're going to play in Beaver Stadium. He said, but we need to get that figured out moving forward with the college football playoff expanding and potentially having those games hosted at Penn State in the first round. So, yeah, I thought that was a good sign. 
Um, it definitely seems like they're leaning towards renovation over rebuilding. I think that's pretty. He said to to quote him exactly. He said nobody's building a hundred thousand plus stadiums anymore. Which I mean, I think that's smart, right? I mean, attendance is down across the college football landscape, so I get that. And so, even if you renovate, I think the hundred k plus is an important number. So I think if you renovate, you really got to try to stay around a hundred thousand. Um, it's not crazy important to me, but I think it isn't important to a lot of other people. And so I think you got to try to stay around that. But I am curious what the timetable is for all of that, right? You had all of those the studies done that probably are even obsolete at this point. But what does that really mean moving forward? And, and, and I guess, is it going to be like just kind of like a chunk by chunk thing? Like we're just going to work on, you know, some of it at a time. And this is going to take 15 to 20 years before we all actually see it being done. I'm, I'm curious to see what happens there. But, um, Sean, I, I really want to also mention – how coach focus or coach centric he seems to be as far as keeping guys. He said, we want to keep all of our coaches, whether that's head coaches in Micah Shrewsbury, who he, he went to bat for during that press conference, uh, the basketball coach, or even the assistant coaches. He said, we, you know, we want to keep our guy. That's a priority to us. And now everyone says that, but I mean, besides Manny Diaz interviewing for the, FAU job, I haven't heard any whispering of other assistant coaches really looking around yet. So maybe there is some truth to it. That's actually a fan question a little bit later in the show. But that to me was impressive. He did um, answer Audrey's question and say, yeah, right now the recruiting or excuse me, the coaching pool salary is top three in the Big Ten, which obviously means it's right there with Ohio State and Michigan. So uh, they're competing there, and and I think that's that's the main stuff, right? Like that coaching, NIL, Beaver Stadium. He seemed to kind of check all those boxes uh, during the press conference on on Wednesday or whatever day that was. Yeah, it was during the week at some point. <laughs> and yeah, he. Um. You know, I think you just have to love the energy that he brings. Not like Corey said, a lot of it is talk right now, but it's the right kind of talk. And you want to see it put into action. And I know that he said, uh, for, and I know we have a lot of wrestling fans here, like he said, the wrestling facilities are just not up to standard. So I think he's also very honest about the problems we have. Whereas a lot of athletic directors, and, and not just people we've had, but athletic directors all over the country they want to gloss over problems they don't want to really address that they might address them behind the scenes they do but to the media to the public they don't really like to talk about that and they just kind of take the approach of we're not going to bring that up i think it's smart to bring it up because i think it it moves donors and it moves them to donate money because that's really i mean he said it to the media, he said it to us, but really saying it to the donors. He's saying it to the to the big fish. He's saying it to uh, the top one percent, if you will, the people who could donate a lot of money. And he's like, "Look, we're once again asking for your financial support." We're definitely and, not the top one percent right here. Uh, no, not not here. Um, but he that's who he's talking to. So there's a reason he said it, and I think it's a smart way to approach it. Yeah, well, let's move on from from him. I I think we're all 
happy with where that's at, which is saying something. Uh, James Franklin kind of reiterated the same stuff, right? Like, very happy. It seems like he... The one thing I thought was interesting was he said something about he doesn't have to go to certain meetings anymore to vouch for his program. I thought that was something interesting Franklin said. He said, now I have time to go do other things because I don't have to be a salesperson when it comes to those things, which I think is just goes back to the alignment thing, right? And especially this time of year when you're trying to do Rose Bowl prep, recruiting your own roster, recruiting the 2023 uh, class, the 2024 class, and hitting the transfer portal. Uh, one less thing as far as going to bat, as far as budgets and stuff for 2023 and, and renovations and, and new improvements and all that stuff. If you don't have to sit in those meetings, that's a couple more hours you have for somewhere else. So I thought that was an important part of it. Um, Franklin also said that he is hopeful to have Olu Fashionu, Caden Wallace, and Kevon Lee for the Rose Bowl, uh, which is notable because, A, I think this year he's talked more about injuries than he's ever talked about, by the way. I feel like he has discussed it way more. I think he's changed his approach, so we're not discussing it, too. I'll discuss it if the player wants me to discuss it, which is fair. Um and I think nice for everybody. So that's cool. But also notable, again, Olu Fashionu not going to the NFL, coming back. They said it wasn't a serious injury, so that sounds good that he might be back. Caden Wallace could go to the NFL, could forego the Rose Bowl. He still could go afterwards, like what Nick Tarburton's doing. But that's notable that he's looking to play. Rasheed Walker, for example, uh, was banged up. He was a more severe injury, but he didn't play in the Outback Bowl. And then finally, Kevon Lee. First of all, everyone thought Kevon Lee would be in the transfer portal by now. And everyone keeps saying, oh, we need to get a running back. We need to get a running back because Kevon Lee is going to be gone. London Montgomery's hurt. Well, Kevon Lee's still not in the transfer portal. And, I mean, Sean, we thought Kevon Lee might be a guy who's going to enter the transfer portal after the spring practices. Right? And he never did. And... Maybe Kevon Lee's going to be hanging around for a little bit. Maybe he wants – I don't know what the plan is with Kevon Lee, but I thought it was very notable that Kevon Lee, A, isn't in the transfer portal yet, and Franklin hopes to have him for the Rose Bowl. I thought that was all very interesting. I, my gut feeling is Kevon Lee's coming back. And I say that because, I mean, he, he's going to be playing – not just because he's going to be playing in the Rose Bowl, but because we're not really offering running backs in the portal. And I would have thought that if Kevon Lee was, wasn't coming back, we would be. And that just hasn't happened. So I think he's going to come back. And I don't want to guarantee it, but I'd say about 75-25 he comes back, which is what's pretty good odds, all things considered, because I would have thought it might have been in 75-25 in the other direction, just – about a month ago. Also, I don't know how easy it'd be to go in a transfer portal and say, hey, do you want to be a third-string running back behind Katron Allen and Nick Singleton? And we'll get into the recruiting a little bit later, but they're most likely going to have two running backs coming in from the 2023 class as well. So you got to feel pretty decent about having a third and fourth-string guy there. But, But no, I think that's a good point. They can still maybe offer a couple. I don't think they've even offered anybody. 
um, from the running back department. Maybe that's wrong, but I don't think so off the top of my head. So that was interesting. Um, I'm probably going to get this not 100% accurate, but I wanted to list off, because I did talk to the players, I wanted to list off some of the players that we know for sure are going to be playing in the Rose Bowl that maybe we weren't sure of because I think they deserve to get some credit in the in the world nowadays with a lot of guys not playing. So obviously Sean Clifford, um, but but Mitch Tinsley, Brenton Strange, Juice Scruggs, Caden Wallace, uh, Hunter Norzad, but Hunter Norzad's already said he's coming back. Long snapper Chris Stahl. Nick Tarburton, who is going to go to the NFL, PJ Mustafer, Jair Brown. I correct. I haven't heard. Maybe I just missed it, but I don't know if I heard anything about Marquise Wilson. Did you hear anything there? I did not. I think he just posted a Penn State graphic a few days ago, though. Hold on. I'm going okay. to do some research. And and Devon Ellis is another guy who theoretically walked on senior day. We're not sure there, but it, I haven't heard anything about him not playing. Um, but obviously the notables there, Jair Brown and P.J. Mustafer and Nick Tarbert, and, but all three of those guys are playing. Brent Strange said he hadn't made a decision yet on the NFL, but he's going to play in the Rose Bowl. Uh, it looks like at this point, Sean, probably no more opt-outs, which is just Franklin talked about, hey, we hadn't really had that many opt-outs. and. And I thought what was interesting was Franklin said, look, there's no reason to opt out if you're playing for Penn State. He said, if you want to have, I mean, he didn't say it specifically, but basically said, if you want to be on a snap count, if you don't want to play the whole game, but if you want to be there and be a part of the experience, it seems like Penn State's open to that. So he said he had a lot of conversations with, with Saquon Barkley about the Fiesta Bowl, but basically I don't think you're going to see PJ Mustafer be on the field for 50 snaps. I don't think you're going to see Jair Brown be out there for 50 snaps, but I think they're going to play some, but I think they're, they want them, these guys to have that experience while also maintaining, you know, their future. So I, and I think they're very flexible when it comes to that. So that's a cool to see by the players and, and playing in this game, especially with it being the biggest non playoff bowl. They're out there but also cool by the coaches to say, Hey, look, we don't care if you, you know, you, we, you want to be flexible with how much you're playing. Like we can work with you on snap counts. I'm not sure if every program across the country is doing that. Yeah. And you just think about, and by the way, Marquise Wilson, uh, he promoted, he was promoting uh, the success with honor NIL. So, I mean, maybe that says something, but yeah, I just thought that was interesting. That was 19 hours ago. But yeah, as far as flexibility goes, Saquon didn't play as much in the Fiesta Bowl as he had played all season. Now, he still made a big impact because he's Saquon, and he had the long run and everything. But Miles Sanders had a lot of carries that day as compared to the rest of the season. Uh, KJ Hamler in 2019, the Cotton Bowl, he didn't play as much as he as he did uh, previously. So, yeah, Penn State has shown in the past that they'll work with you and they won't. Like you said, they, they're not going to play you 50 plus snaps if you don't want to, because they understand that you're thinking about your future. And, you know, you have to kind of give a little to take a little. I think that's the phrase. So. I mean, you want these guys to play, and 
but you have to be able to work with them and be flexible if you're going to get them to play. And 50 snaps of Jair Brown, I mean, or 40 snaps of Jair Brown, there could be a big play in there that you could really need uh, that you wouldn't have gotten if he didn't, if he wasn't in there. So I think that's very valuable to just be able to get him for, for, for those snaps. Yeah, I just double check. I didn't hear anything yet about Curtis Jacobs. So that's another guy, yeah. and he's promoted NIL and things. But uh, I hadn't heard whether or not he's going to be playing. So keep an eye out there. I think it would do wonders if he came back for another year. And I know you know, fans say that a lot. Typically, I honestly lean towards going to the NFL because I don't think production – the NFL doesn't care about production as much as they care about parameters and measurements. So you could have a fantastic year as a corner, but if you're still short – like Daquan Hardy could could have like six interceptions next year, not going to really increase his stock that very much. It just That's just how it is because he's not a tall corner. And he like Daquan Hardy could have six interceptions – could lead the country in interceptions. Still not going to be a first-round pick the following year. It's not going to happen. Um, Joey Porter Jr. could have had one interception. Probably still would have been a first-round pick. It's just that's just how it is. So I I don't think it's going to drastically improve his stock, but I think there's a couple things he can still work on from a technical from a technical perspective that would that would help his game out and and maybe get him into that second second round, maybe even first round, depending on how well he does. But uh, keep an eye out there. I think that's a that's probably the biggest one out there still that we're not 100% sure on. Him and Brendan Strange, I think, are probably the two biggest ones. Uh, Sean, the only other thing, and we can talk about it a little bit more. Why don't we save the Manny Diaz stuff? There's a fan question regarding it. Let's save Manny Diaz for the fan questions because there was a question about assistant coaches. We'll, we'll talk about Manny Diaz there. Uh, five-star review time. We did it. Over 100 reviews, most of them being five stars. This was the latest one that came in. I think tired of picking a nickname exclamation point. I thought we had a tired of picking a nickname before. But regardless, I looked back. I couldn't find it. Um, This is tired of picking a nickname with an exclamation point. Right. Maybe that is the difference. I don't know. Uh, Five stars. Unmatched content. Been listening all season and blown away by the knowledge and entertainment provided. Keep up the good work. Thank you. Tired of picking a nickname, exclamation point. Thank you. Appreciate it. Uh, Takes two seconds to write a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. We'll read it on the show, and we'll send you a sticker. So make sure you guys reach out to us. We'll get you a sticker uh, as soon as we possibly can. We're over 100. So now I guess the goal, let's try to get to 200 before the end of next season, I think is the goal. So let's see if we can get there, you know, piece by piece. You can't eat an elephant all at once. And uh, we appreciate you guys. Again, we'll do a little, little giveaway, a little pizza party giveaway. Uh, but thank you guys so much. I want to double check just to make sure, see if if we didn't have the – sometimes Apple loads weird. Maybe there's another one for me to read that's not on there. Um, But, no, we really appreciate it, guys. Nope, that's all I got. So thank you guys so much for the five-star reviews. Keep them coming. Keep them coming. I saw we're at 32 five-star reviews on Spotify, and we're a perfect five-star rating there. So thank you for the five-star ratings on Spotify. We appreciate that as well. Yeah, we appreciate them from everywhere. So it's uh, 
just great to hear uh, the positive feedback from everybody. Um, so yeah, a hundred. I mean, a hundred one. And look, guys, when we get to two hundred, I mean, we're gonna get drunk or something. So that's gonna be even more fun. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Bingo. Uh, all right. Well, it's it's everyone's favorite part of the show, and that's fan question time. So again, fan questions. Drop them at Hardcore PSUFB. We have a spot there to do it every single episode, really. Uh, so make sure you're ready for those. We have a, a mixed bag here of questions. We're going to start out a little bit negative, Sean. Actually, a lot of the questions are kind of negative. Um, but this question comes from Bill Runs Pittsburgh 262. And he says, I've seen multiple Super Bowls and Stanley Cup titles for my favorite pro teams. We'll never enjoy a World Series. Yeah, especially if you're a Pirates fan. Will I get to witness a Penn State Natty title in my lifetime? With three three question marks. And I did clarify. I want to know how long this guy is. If he's like 95, I'm going to say probably not. Uh, but he says he has about 50 years of viewing left. So... I guess I'm just going to keep it simple and say yes. Because I think with the playoff expanding, Penn State's going to be, most years, I would say Penn State's going to be three wins away from winning a national title or four years, four wins away from winning a national championship. Whether they're able to win those four games, who knows? But they will have a path to at least win one, which maybe they hadn't really had one except for a couple of years. So I'm going to be positive here and say yes. Sean? This question cuts deep for me because for me, I'm a Yankee fan. We won a World Series. Um, but the Dolphins haven't won a Super Bowl since 1972. And State hasn't won a national championship since 1986. Flyers haven't won since 1975. And the Sixers haven't won since 1982. So what I'm saying is championships aren't a guarantee in your fandom. They're just not. And I think some fans are very spoiled, especially if you're a chowder-eating Boston fan. Um, the, where you just have championships coming out the wazoo, mostly because I hate those people. So that that's kind of the way the universe works. So to answer the question, I lean toward no. And I'm sorry to say that, but I do. And I think the same thing for me, and I hope I have about 75 years left. And it's because it's just, it's hard to win a national championship. We're up north. And look, we're a program that had an elite run from probably the early 70s until the mid-80s. And then after that, 94, not, not, notwithstanding, it's been like this, like, <laughs> largely. We'll have some mediocre years. We'll have some really good years. We'll have some great years. There's no title years. And at some point, I lean toward, no, I'm not saying it's impossible because we do have some things going in our direction, but yeah, I lean toward no. And it's been almost 40 years. And yeah, I'm sad to say I lean no. 
I'm going to rebuttal you by saying something that Franklin said during the press conference when someone asked him about like recruiting and the national reputation of the program and how it seems to be back on track. And Franklin kind of shot that down and said, look, and how many times have, you know, I said this, that the program was never off track. It just had a little bit of a detour because of COVID. And, and he said, you know, like everyone had to deal with COVID, but that really messed with us. But he's like, we, we are where we, you know, we're where we are, where we thought we were going to be like, this isn't anything different. The program hasn't changed. We had a little bit of a rerouting because of COVID and whatnot. But if you take out COVID and people are like, oh, you can't take out. I mean, they have been consistently a fringe top 10 team, if not higher, since 2016. I mean, they are knocking at the door. And and Sean, I know that it, it, it seems difficult at times. But I the reason I'm optimistic is because, A, they've already flirted with it. And B, they now have re, you know alignment from the top down at the admin portion. And look at Georgia. Georgia, from the admin perspective, flipped the switch and said, let's win a national championship. They out-recruited everybody. They out-funded everybody. And now they're a powerhouse. I think Penn State can do the exact same thing Georgia can do if they want to, truthfully. I really think they do. The way they're recruiting Virginia, the way they're recruiting Florida, hell, the way they're recruiting the South in general, you know, they're not going to recruit at the Georgia level most likely. But if they could recruit Virginia as well as they are, especially the D.C. area, if they can recruit New Jersey and Maryland as well as they sort of have hit all of the talent in Pennsylvania and still sprinkle in Florida, Alabama, Georgia guys, they can get close enough with a good quarterback to compete. And then the final piece of this is Georgia was in the Gator Bowl against Penn State not very long ago. And honestly, was was a program that was had an interim head coach in that game. So they they started, you could argue, below Penn State. But you saw what they were able to do as, as soon as they had the coach, as soon as they had the administration alignment. And I think Penn State's path is going to be easier moving forward. So th- they were fringe before, and I think they're closer now. So I'm going to say I, I I'm going to say yes, and I think I honestly feel better about it. Well, I definitely feel better about it than a couple of years ago, but I, I'm feeling even better about it than maybe 2018, 2019. I think they're really they're really moving in the right direction. They got a potential opportunity to stack classes. They got a blue chip quarterback, and again. I want to stress it one more time. They have alignment from the top to the bottom, which is so important in college football. And I think they finally have it. We have it. We have alignment within the athletic department. Yes. Which is a very valuable thing. Well, we don't have an alignment from the donor base for multiple reasons. And a lot of that has to do with the way that a head coach was fired 11, who's been dead for 10 years, was fired. And I don't know how you get past that. I mean, I think a lot of those fans are older. So when the new gener, when millennials, like the under 40 crowd gets, uh, when they acquire more money, maybe that won't be as big of an obstacle as it is. But right now we don't, we don't have that alignment from the donor base and the athletic department. And, and Again, let me be clear. It's very important to have that alignment between the athletic department 
and the head coach because we hadn't had that. And James Franklin, I think, even said that he would have to put his, like you said, um, his fundraising hat on and basically beg for everything. And he doesn't really have to do that anymore. Uh, but right now, because of the way things went down with Joe, it's it's hard to get money from some people. It's impossible to get money from some people. So right now we don't have, I don't think we have total alignment. Yeah. I I, I think that will change a little bit with craft too. So I, I'm not ready to, you know, it's not like they need, it's not like they're waves behind. I think what craft said too. the, the, the amount of, ground they've made up in the last year with Pat Kraft. I mean, I, I think they are in the conversation. They're not at the Georgia level or they're not at maybe even like the Auburn level from what I've heard, but I think they're getting there. Um, we can have that conversation a lot more here um, as we get into the part of the season where they don't play games. This question came off super negative. I mean, this one was like, I don't even know where it came from and why it was so negative. This is from Hero Francis. Can anyone come up with a scenario how we can beat Utah in the Rose Bowl? I just can't find the explosiveness and potential stud against Utah from the current roster. I don't know if this person forgot that Nick Singleton plays for Penn State. Um, I don't really know. Like, I get it. And you're, you know, the perspective of Utah just beat USC. And that's what's on everyone's mind right now. But, Sean, you texted it to me, and I know it's not synonymous, but Oregon State just beat the brakes off of a Florida team that beat Utah. And this idea, I think it's easy money right now. Everyone's taking Utah to win this game because of that USC performance, as if the Utah offense is super explosive. That Utah offense only looked good because it was going against one of the worst USC. Just wait until the Cotton Bowl. And Tulane throws the ball and runs the ball all over USC. And that will make you realize, okay, maybe USC's defense really isn't that good. I mean, we've been saying that all year, but that's going to change people's minds a little bit. Utah is not going to be able to move the ball very well. We talked about it, I think, last episode about we think it could be a pretty defensive game. Utah is going to struggle to move the ball. Cam Rising is getting a lot of credit for being like a gritty quarterback. I don't understand why that is going towards Cam Rising and not Sean Clifford. I think they're pretty like mirror images of each other as far as being a gritty, tough guy who can sort of run, has a lot of experience. I think they both make mistakes. I think they're they're probably I think honestly the quarterback situation is like dead even as far as I wouldn't give the edge to either quarterback. Um which to me then is like, okay, you're surrounding Cass. Utah doesn't have the same talent as far in the running back department i don't think their offensive line is probably as good as penn state's if, if olu fashion can go um and caden wallace can go so to answer this question straight up i think there's a lot of scenarios where penn state wins this game i don't think it's going to be easy by any stretch of the imagination but to, to come off this hopeless with the game being two weeks away i mean come on what what are we doing here um Penn State has the best player in this game, probably on both sides of the ball. So uh, if you want to be concerned about the wide receivers and how they match up against Utah, that's a a fair concern. And and maybe there isn't enough explosiveness in a passing game. I don't know how they're going to answer for the tight ends. I don't know how they're going to answer for the running backs. 
I, I think Penn State's going to be okay. I, the, this came off like Penn State's going to get the doors blown off of them, and I just think that's recency bias, Sean. Yeah, I I could come up with a few scenarios in which Penn State could beat Utah. Um, I don't know. I, I, I feel decent about this game. I really do. Uh, I, I think Cam Rising's a little better than Sean Clifford. Um, Cam Rising has two... Uh, Pac-12 championships. He was first team all Pac-12 quarterback last year. So I think he's a little bit better, but is the gap that big? Not really. <laughs> I mean, it, it's really, it's, it's, it's really not. Uh, and yeah, the USC defense, and we had said all year that USC is a flawed team. And why were they a flawed team? Because of their defense. And they won a lot of games because they've led the country for most of the season turnover differential. So the turnovers would bail their defense out sometimes and their offense would take care of the ball. And in the Utah game, they kind of just physically man them. And that that's kind of, that's sort of what happened there. Uh, but yeah, I think Penn State has a very good shot in this game. It, I don't see it as a slam dunk that, Utah's going to win this one. And I agree with you, like, the explosiveness. Nick Singleton, we've seen what KLS could be capable of. Um, we Katron Allen has some explosiveness to him. So, yeah, I think we have explosiveness. I am concerned about the receiver position, and we've emphasized that all year. I'm concerned about Sean Clifford. Um, but, yeah, I, I think there's several scenarios in which Penn State can win this game. Yeah, this year alone, their stats are almost dead even, like literally. Like they both have seven interceptions. They they both have 30 or almost 30 total touchdowns. Completion percentages is, is within 3% of each other. But Cam Rising wins big games. I don't know if Cam Rising won that big game. I mean, that's not true. He Cam Rising literally lost the game at Florida. They had, could have kicked the field goal to go to overtime. He threw the interception the in the red zone twice. He lost. He threw three interceptions and no touchdowns against Oregon, and that was a big game. So let's not USC twice. Okay, so he won a big game. That that doesn't mean he's Two. He wins big games. He won the Pac-12 last year. Yeah. Again. Supporting cast First makes a difference too. Last year. Well, winning two games doesn't mean he's better than Sean Clifford, is what I'm trying to say. I think it helps. I like to win again, games. again against a USC defense. I mean, I I would argue Sean Clifford puts up even better numbers against that USC defense. That USC defense was pitiful, pitiful. I mean, One. that USC defense was not any better than Michigan State's defense or Maryland's defense or. I don't know. A lot of those defenses. Yeah, and Clifford Corey, put up Corey, great I don't think the gap is that big. I don't. But I, if you were to tell me you have to pick one, I would pick Cam Rising. Yeah, I think I, I think I like you're. I think most people would agree with you. By the way, I just think most people are wrong. I, I so think you would you're take Cliff? absolutely. And I don't even know if it's that close. I think the numbers are inflated because of the conference he plays in. The best defense in the Pac-12 is the one Cam Rising gets to not go against because it's on his team. <laughs> And I think that helps a lot. I mean, I'm trying to think of the best defense he probably faced, and that was Oregon's. And or he, Ohio State last year. And Ohio yeah, State's defense. Ohio State's very defense wasn't year. very and and they did a lot oh, of it on the ground. Lost. They had and they lost too, but they put up like 50 points. 
Yeah, but they had 250 of it on the ground. Yeah, I mean, I'm not, look, like I said, I'm not saying the gap is that big, but if you were to give me the choice, I would take Cam Rising. Uh, Brushfire, yes, we are going to talk recruiting uh, just after these fan questions. Yeah, and I, again, I think most people would agree with you. I just, I just don't. Again, based off of what we've seen defensively from the Pac-12 versus the the Big Ten over even the course of their career, um, yeah, I, I'm going with Cliff. And guess what? We get to see them both without their best weapons. See what they can do. Um, okay, let's go assistant coaches now. Uh, this is from JGNBU59, long-time listener, long-time listener. Uh, after a solid season with growth, what changes, if any, could be expected in the coaching staff? Do we expect anyone to leave? So I guess I want to start this, Sean, by saying Manny Diaz was asked about this specifically, about his ambition and his goals. And he straight up said, yeah, I want to be a head coach again. He said he has unfinished business when it comes to what happened at Miami we know he applied for the FAU job. As far as we know, he was a finalist, is what I heard, for the FAU job in Boca Raton. I I honestly think that might have been a, a pretty good spot for him, given, you know, his, you know, not very far from Miami, his kind of recruiting territory, if you will. But he was a he was a final or a semifinalist for the Broyles Award. If he has another really good season, I'm kind of shocked that his name hasn't been thrown around for some of these bigger jobs this year. But if he and maybe it's just because of what happened in Miami and how it all went down. But uh, Mario Cristobal isn't having that much better of a go of it. I mean, he's recruiting well, but he's not doing very well on the field. Uh, if they have another good year, Sean, I don't think Manny Diaz is, is back for a third year. I mean, I would be shocked if Manny Diaz isn't taking a, a, a pretty substantial power five head coaching job next year. If, if again, the defense, let's just assume all the good things happen, right? Penn state's a playoff team or even, you know, whatever is the top five team defense lights it up. They beat either Ohio state or Michigan. Things are really good. I, I don't understand how Manny Diaz wouldn't be one of the first head coaches kind of picked up. Yeah, I would agree with that too. Um, and Manny, you know, definitely left the door open to not just left the door open, but said he would be interested in going and getting a head coaching job, but it would have to be a great offer. And to me, and I know he was a finalist for the, at least it was reported that he was a finalist for the FAU job. That translated to me a great offer as a power five offer. And he would be holding out maybe for a power five opportunity and I mean, look, Manny was behind the eight ball at Miami, getting the job, you know, having a job during COVID. And I believe he was only, and he was the head guy there. Was was it two or three years? Was it 2019 to 2021, or was it just 2020 to 2021? I I'm not sure. I think he was just but, a head coach for two years. Yeah, so he was both years. He was impacted heavily by COVID, and we all know how difficult that that could be. And I've just been so impressed with him with a uh, Michigan game, notwithstanding, you know, just how prepared his defenses are, how hard they play. And I mean, the guy, you, if you watch the press conference, he just, he comes across as a head coach, like, 
you just know he's going to get a head coaching job again. And he, he really should. I think he deserves another opportunity. And um, I would I would love to see it happen for him. And I hope we could hang on to him for another year. And I, th- I think we will at this point. Usually if you get in, in modern college football, if you get to the middle of the to the end of December and the guy's still with you, he's probably going to stay. At least he's probably not going to get a head co- another head coaching off uh, job usually and because the jobs fill up so quick anymore. And uh, that's and I think that's huge. I think that's huge to be able to keep him on the staff for another year because we were we were hoping for two years coming in and it looks like we're going to get that. Yeah, I would say, too, like he said specifically, he's not just going to take he said this is a really good job and it's going to take a really, really good job in order for him to leave. So I don't think he's going to leave for a bottom, you know, group of five squad like he he's probably waiting for a, a top tier job that has that sort of alignment that we just talked about is so important so yeah I, I, at this point i don't think he's leaving i mean he, he seems pretty focused on 2023 already he said that too it's going to be a bigger job right and it, and so honestly like auburn should have went to many Diaz before they went to hugh freeze but i don't want to go down the auburn route but i mean that was to me a mistake by auburn in so many different regards but yeah i think manny Diaz. If, it'd be silly if he's not a power five head coach next year. So we'll keep an eye out there. Otherwise, I think if, if Penn State could line it up perfectly, if they could keep Anthony Poindexter for another year and Manny Diaz leaves, I think that'd be really smart to just promote Poindexter to to head to, de, to defensive coordinator at that point. Because Poindexter is a guy who flirted with Virginia a little bit last year, probably going to be a head coach at some point as well. Um but if they could if they could keep Poindexter promote him, I think that'd be smart. But I think Poindexter is a guy you have to walk out watch out for. I think Terry Smith, you always have to worry about a little bit. I know he's been with Penn State the longest, but that guy could probably be a super duper really good head coach as well. Um, and we know how important he is in the recruiting world. I think Penn State can't really afford to lose Terry Smith, but I think that's a guy you have to pay attention to because he is one of the better guys. And then we've talked about him before, Sean, but Jawan Sider, John Scott Jr., maybe not to head coaching jobs, but to, you know, hire assistant coaches jobs, whether it's, you know, a defensive coordinator spot or an offensive coordinator spot, respectfully. I think you have to pay attention to those guys there as well. Sure, sure. Yeah, there's there's a lot of talent on the staff. And I think you have to, I, I, I think, you know, maybe even a guy like Ty Howell, maybe he wants to be an offensive line coach. And it would probably take, you know, a good offer and probably um, more money to get Ty Howell away from State College. But yeah, I think it's possible because he grew up playing on the offensive line, and I think it's more. It would be, it would be more of a uh, natural fit for him. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, Poindexter is another guy that I think is going to be a, is going to be a head coach someday, and I agree with you. I think Terry Smith could do it. He has that same similar presence to him that, and I think there's a reason why he's the assistant head coach. And it's because he, he, you could tell he's a leader of men and that's really what you need. That that's in my opinion, that's a top two or three thing you need in, uh, to be a college football coach is just to be able to be a leader of men. And Terry Smith has that, has that presence, has that leadership ability to be able to do it. 
yeah, we got two more questions here. Uh, this one is from Shelby. Why is there no emphasis on defensive tackles? Every year we struggle against big offensive lines, seem like we don't have the big run stuffers. I just threw this question out here because it was a softball for me. You know how much I like talking about this. I mean, I agree to a certain extent, right? Like, you know, they want to probably go into portal and get a defensive tackle if possible. We don't know what the future is for Devon Ellis yet. Um, you have Keziah Izzard. You have Zane Durant. You have Vandenberg. So you have depth there that has experience. So I don't think it's like a crucial issue, which means it's kind of hard to get a top guy like that. But... Yeah, I mean, if, if you could, you you kind of would. So I agree with that first part. You should get a defensive tackle if you can. However, comes into my favorite sort of part of this, and that is that second part of the question. Every year we struggle with big offensive lines. Sean, did we struggle with Minnesota this year? Nope. Did we struggle with Wisconsin in 2021? No, not really. No, especially with how many times they ran it. I mean, they yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, because amount. yeah, I know people looked at and they're like, oh, they had 170 yards, and I was like, yeah, because they ran it like 160 times. I'm pretty sure they literally ran it like 45 times. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm not even sure that's an exaggeration. Um, yeah. We we've talked about this a lot, and I'm not going to beat the dead horse too much, but again, we watched the film. We don't think it's a just a straight up size issue. They were fine against the run against Ohio State. They were, you know, not good against Michigan from the get-go against the run. And usually the size thing doesn't really show up until the latter part of the game. They weren't good against the run from the very first drive, which was a very schematic issue, a gap issue, which, again, Michigan offensive scheme is fantastic about getting you out of your gaps. Did it against Ohio State very well. As Ohio State saying that they don't have enough meet on their defensive line because they got gashed against Donovan Edwards and company. No, they just got beat gap beat a lot of the times. So no, the reason they lost to Michigan wasn't because they weren't big enough. I'm not against getting a little bit bigger on the inside. But the point is kind of mute. That's not why they lost to Michigan. That's also not why they beat Minnesota. Um, The best thing again, to just my last thought on this is you want to beat Michigan consistently, get an early lead against Michigan. And when you have a chance to bury them, bury them. Then a game, like, you, if you do the, the right way against Michigan, you will never have to worry about playing a true fourth quarter. You know, I don't care how talented they are. They are never going to be that great to come back and beat you. On, like, like in Ohio State, that maybe has the capability of doing. But you got to step on them early. And when you don't, that is when, I mean, look at the Ohio State game. Ohio State had chances in that first half to put Michigan away. And if they would have, it would have been game over. But they failed to do it. They let Michigan hang around. And then eventually, Michigan's able to to kind of play their game. And then that's not what you want. That's really what you can't afford to let Harbaugh do. And we've talked about that so many times. So, yeah, sure. Go get a defensive tackle if you can. And I'm, I'll mention one guy in a second. But, uh the size thing is is overblown. Yeah, I agree with some of what you said, and I slightly, not that I disagree, but a little um, amendment to what you say, to what you said. Um, so, yes, I think we need to get a defensive, I would like to get a defensive tackle in the portal, and 
the thing, and I sort of agree that we don't have a big round stuffer after PJ Mustafer is gone. And that's my whole thing is I don't see anybody on this roster that's going to replace PJ Mustafer. And yeah, that does concern me because I do think you have to, I, I, I like to have some beef there and not just have guys that are barely 300 pounds playing defensive tackle. I would like to see more, more beef, please. And yeah, I hear what you're saying about we do struggle against. Uh, well, I mean, I hear I hear what Corey's saying that it's kind of overblown because look, James Franklin's undefeated against Wisconsin in his time at Penn State. He has a winning record against Iowa in his time at Penn State, and I don't really think the reason we lost to Michigan. I don't think the reason we lost to Michigan was because they're bigger than us. Uh, I think they're more. But one of the issues that I think Ohio State and Penn State both have against Ohio State, against Michigan, is they're not as physical as them. They're they got they both kind of got manhandled against Michigan this year, and. That does kind of scare me a little bit. Now, it wasn't totally just getting manhandled as much as, in Penn State's case, as much as it was missed gap assignments and all that. But, I mean, they did, it was, I mean, they, they, they're just up front better than us most, if not every year. And they've been better up front against Ohio State the last couple of years. And, yeah, that is that is concerning. And I just wish we had somebody to replace uh to replace PJ. Yeah, and Brushfire has a good point on YouTube. Like Michigan's also a very good running team. Like it's not like this idea that Michigan was middle of the road and they just whooped us just because they were bigger than us. Like A, they have good running backs. B, they have a coach that has been able to run the ball effectively pretty much wherever he's gone, whether it's Stanford, whether it's the 49ers. I mean, he's found ways and different ways to run the ball, and he deserves credit for that. Um yeah, PJ Mustafer 318. Izzard, Vandenberg, and Ellie's are all about 295. So they could probably, you know, all three of those guys could probably get to the 305, 310 range by next year, but but they're probably not going to get to that PJ Mustafer size and be as versatile as PJ Mustafer. But they're not far behind. I mean, just to give you a comparison, Hakeem Beeman's 264. So that's, I mean, there's a difference between Beeman and Izzard, but Izzard's still not to the same level as Mustafa. So, yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, I wanted to add real quick, Sean, um, Quintrell, Jamison, Travis, Juco defensive lineman in the 2023 class. Keep an eye on him. He's a defensive tackle. Penn State's definitely involved with and following him on Twitter and whatnot. Um, keep an eye out there. Not, I don't know if it's even that realistic, but uh, – but if they're trying to maybe secure yet another defensive lineman for this 2023 class, that might be a guy. He's he's six four two eighty, so it doesn't really fill the huge big big guy role. But uh, but maybe they go there. Final question, Sean. I'm going to tease a little bit here, and we don't know for sure. This is a full speculation question, but this is from Carl Frederick. Any player you were hearing that may transfer or leave early, we need to keep an eye on. I am on record on offensive saying I didn't think Brenton Strange was going to come back. 
we don't know for sure yet. He still has to make that decision. I just think with how Theo Johnson came on late, with how many guys you have coming in the in the tight end world, Tyler Warren most likely coming back. I think Brenton Strange did enough to make a lot of money and to go to the NFL and be successful. Um, we'll have to wait and see, especially the way he blocked. I mean, I can't get over. Should put like a blocking highlight together of just Brenton Strange because I think he did such a great job. I think he made himself millions, honestly, this year as far as how well he performed. He's a big question mark coming in. Could he take that next step? Just think back to that Iowa game in 2021 and like, oh, man, like he he's really come a long way. I really think he's going to leave, but that's speculation. Curtis Jacobs, again, is a guy to pay attention to. But as far as transfer portal goes, I really think you need to pay attention to the wide receiver room. I don't know who specifically, but I would be very surprised if all those wide receivers, uh, Keandre Lambert-Smith, Trey Wallace, Caden Saunders, I would be very surprised if Malik Mega. I don't think Liam Clifford's going anywhere, but I would be just keep an eye out there. I, I think if somebody doesn't play very much in the Rose Bowl or someone doesn't have a big game, let's just say like Keandre Lambert-Smith only has like two catches or something like that for like 12 yards. I don't know. Just keep an eye out there, especially with the way they're hitting the portal so hard. Maybe they already know something when it comes to the wide receiver. And so that's where I would kind of keep an eye out, Sean. Yeah, I mean, I think the two guys that, uh, we're all looking at as far as leaving early goes. Um, I'm just going to echo what Corey said is Brent Strange and Curtis Jacobs. I think it would be more, in my opinion, and I know Corey loves Brent Strange, I think it would be more important to keep Curtis Jacobs. And I think he just does a little bit more for the team and the defense in general, whereas I think we could replace Strange a little easier just because I know Theo could play. I know Warren could play. I think Dinkins is good. I think Dinkins is going to be ready to be in that third role. And I think we have two stud freshmen coming in. So I think we'd be able to reload a tight end a little easier than we would at linebacker. Uh, as far as, uh, and, and to answer the question more directly, I haven't heard anything about <laughs> whether those two guys are going to leave or not. Um, as far as transfers, I mean, I think the odds of Kevon Lee transferring have gone down quite a bit. Um, somebody who we don't talk a lot about it, a, a lot about is, uh, but I think it's important to keep him as Bo Pabula. I think he would stay, but don't forget he's in the same class as Drew Aller, and that probably means he's not going to be able to play till he's a senior in college. And he grew up a Penn State fan. He grew up around the program. I just, I, I'm not sure if he would, I don't know if he would be all right with waiting his turn. That might not come, but maybe he will because he grew up such a big Penn State fan. And yeah, I agree with Corey too, the receiver room in general. Just keep an eye on it and because there's so many guys there and they're, and it's easy to get lost in the shuffle in that room. And maybe somebody on the defensive line, too, because, again, defensive line, there's a lot of di- lot of ends, a lot of tackles. Like, even though I think we need a transfer defensive tackle, we have a lot on roster. If you go and take a look at the roster, there are a lot of guys there. So, yeah, those are kind of the positions that I would look at to see maybe a transfer or two. Because I, I, 
I'd be shocked if we didn't have another guy hit the portal before next year. Yeah. Yeah, I think the Rose Bowl is again delaying a little bit of that. Um, yeah, I don't. I I, I think Bo Prabula stays for now. Just there's so many quarterbacks. We talked last episode about Christian Bayer and like where could he even go right now? That's a better situation than what he had at Penn State. Like he was one play away from starting next yeah. year, most likely. Like at a power at a top ten school. Are you going to be able to even find that somewhere? I'm not even really sure. So. Uh, be interesting to see what happens there. But thank you guys all for the questions. Again, at Hardcore PSUFB on Twitter. Uh, we appreciate those questions. And yeah. Okay. Uh, time for, I guess, the final piece of the show today. And, and that is like the recruiting and the transfer portal side of things. Uh, let's go recruiting first, Sean, if you would like. We talked about the commit already in Kavion Keys and, and, and what happened there. Penn State's now to 22 commits in the 2023 class. Uh, let me just throw up this guy real quick here. So there's our little, I guess, board, if you will. This is what we talked about last time. I highlighted Kavion Keys is green because they're able to get him. Daniel Harris. Daniel Harris time on the pod again. I would still is, say, go, go ahead, Sean. Is that green or yellow? I think it's technically green, but it's it might be a lighter green. But and, I'm yeah, also colorblind. I put in green to the little graphic thing, and it and it, that one popped up. So yeah, I was just wondering what that was. But, Anyhow, you know, go, colors, proceed. Colors aren't my strong suit. Yeah. <laughs> I still would argue, Sean, that if you think you know where Daniel Harris is going, you don't know. Um, certain recruiting things. Again, we promote both 24-7 sports and on three. Um, Blue White Illustrated on YouTube has a lot of free stuff. So that's also a benefit that they have going for them. Um. I would still say, though, if you think you know where Daniel Harris is going, I, I would say you don't know. I think it's very 50-50 still. I, you know, we've heard rumblings that Georgia was ahead. Then we heard rumblings that Penn State's ahead. This is going to come. I, I believe he wants to commit before or at least during early signing day. So I think this one should come to, to close here in the next couple of days. But, I mean, if you got a coin, you might as well flip it because I think that's how close this one is right now. There's, and this would... Don't get me wrong. This would be a huge get for Penn State. If they ended up with Daniel Harris and Kavion Keys, as well as you know the two defensive linemen. That's a really strong end to the defensive side of things in this 2023 class, especially, again, after they lost T.J. Parker. Uh, but I would say, Sean, it, it's anyone's guess where Daniel Harris is right now. Yeah, I, I think I've heard similar stuff about Daniel Harris. It's just... 50-50. Franklin did pay him an in-home visit, so they got that out of the way. Uh, but right now, yeah, it doesn't really seem anybody has a clear edge, and we'll probably know by Wednesday. So by the time we talk to you, because Wednesday is signing day, we'll be able to either break the disappointing bad news or the exciting awesome news. And hopefully it's the awesome news. Um, but yeah, it's it would be a huge thing for Penn State to be able to beat uh, Kirby Smart on the recruiting trail. 
Georgia is being billed as maybe the new Bama. So, I mean, Bama's still there, but they're kind of seeing seen as either after Saban leaves or now as like the new the the new power the new powerhouse. So, to be able to hold them off, I think would be and be really be able to. I mean, he wouldn't be technically a flip, I don't think, even though he decommitted. I don't know if that's technically a flip or not, but uh, to be able to get him from Georgia, from Georgia's grasp, would be would be huge. And I think we have a shot at him. So, yeah, take that for what for what you will. And I do expect Cam Wallace to end up in this class. He just got crystal ball to Penn State, and I expect him to uh, to end up with Penn State. Yeah, Penn State did an in in house visit to him or a visit they him did. at school not too long yep. ago. Uh, I think he is visiting Georgia Tech this weekend, or did visit Georgia Tech this weekend. But uh, maybe just kind of check the box there to say, "Hey, we went and saw you." But yeah, I think I think that one might, might be wrapped up early this week. So I would expect the commit from Cam Wallace. Uh, Cam Wallace, we talked about Daniel Harris. We talked about. Let me just throw that up here. Let's talk Conrad Hussey. I don't know if I have a thing for Conrad Hussey anymore. Penn State already used their in-house visit, so they weren't able to visit him again. But so I can throw my screen back up there. But I think there was a a game they were going to be visiting, and Conrad Hussey was going to be there, whether it was his playoff game or whatever the case was so that that doesn't count against them but hussey has visited florida state he's been talking to miami i think he might even be visiting somewhere else this past weekend i, I haven't looked lately um if you put anything on twitter or whatnot but he did post like a huge instagram thing with him at florida state a couple weeks ago um this was this has gone from oh don't really worry about it to maybe be a little bit worried about it. I think Penn State's. I I would still if I had to choose say he goes to Penn State, but I think you got to be worried about Conrad Hussey now uh, as far as maybe flipping to 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 Florida State or maybe to Miami. Uh, I would say by the way Daniel Harris if he does commit to Penn State I would I would call that a flip. Just by the way, but what are your thoughts here on Conrad Hussey? Yeah, I mean the the flip. We'll call it a flip because it's kind of like the how we call a four star guy a four star guy if he's a four star guy one place. So we're gonna call it a flip here. Uh, Conrad Hussey, yeah, I mean it looks like he's probably gonna end up in Penn State's class, but while every other commit, I'm pretty much at ninety ninety five percent at least that they're gonna stick. I, I never feel 100% sure that they're going to stick until they sign on the dotted line. Uh, Husky, I'm probably at about 75 to 80. And so that's a little, little concerning, but I still think he'll end up at Penn State. But when you have a Florida guy who has visited multiple Florida teams and you're trying to get him to Pennsylvania, yeah, just logic tells you, oh, that that could be that could present problems. And I think he ends up at Penn State. He's been very clear with the staff. It doesn't look like he's doing anything weird, which is good. 
uh, anything weirder as in like, you know, going behind the staff's back and the staff finding out on Twitter that, oh, Conrad Hussey's at Florida State this weekend. And I don't think that type of thing has happened. So I do expect him to end up at Penn State, but you never know. Yeah, and it was her it was her state championship. St. Thomas Aquinas finished fourteen and zero, won the state championship, thirty eight twenty one. So that I think that's what James Franklin and company were at. Um, yeah, King yeah King Max on that team too, so they were able to watch both of them. Yeah, I I, I and I don't think as much as like the teammate thing, I don't think that has affected either Mac or Hussey as much as maybe. You'd want it to, uh, as far as keeping them. But yeah, I think that's one you got to keep an eye on. If they end up with Daniel Harris, Cam Wallace, Kavion Keys, and Conrad Hussey, I think that's a pretty strong hold to the end of the uh, to the end of this 2023 class. Again, maybe Hussey waits and doesn't sign on early signing day. We'll have to wait and see. Obviously, the staff would take that as a, a big red flag. Yeah. But, uh, that's where the class stands. I, again, it's hard to really argue with how Penn State has finished this thing off. If they can get Daniel Harris, Cam Wallace, and Conrad Hussey, I mean, that would be that probably move them close to top ten, probably. So, uh, just again, credit the staff because they have put in some serious work here down the stretch. Yeah, they hit the road hard, uh, both literally and figuratively, uh, to end this stat, to end the, this class as as well as as they have and. Look, it could be even better. Like you said, if they could, if they could, um, you know, first off, keep all their guys committed uh, and getting them, get them all to sign on Wednesday, and uh, to be able, if they're able to add Harris and they're able to add uh, Wallace uh, with flipping KV on keys and uh, bringing in, and flipping Mason Mason Robinson and um, I almost said Mason Rudolph um, and uh, Joseph Mpoye. I've almost said that so many times. It's been unreal how many times I've wanted to say Mason Rudolph, <laughs> and I just don't know why. Um, still only five players in the transfer portal for Penn State. I saw Rodney McGraw officially was offered by Louisville. Um, again, Christian Vayer has been very quiet. I haven't heard very much at all there. Uh, Jeffrey Davis I haven't heard very much about, and and neither Malik McNeil or Devon Townley. So that's all they have right now. We'll keep an eye on it, but not a lot of movement so far for those guys. No instant, you know, portal, then they find a new home. So keep an eye out there. Portal needs hasn't really changed, right? Wide receiver, they lose Mitch Tinsley. They, they do lose Parker Washington. Uh, I think they, you know, we, we still think they might take two if possible. Uh, defensive line, just like the fan question said, hey, are you guys going to take somebody? Well, I think they need to. And then, Offensive line, I think, hasn't uh, maybe calmed down a little bit. Again, some of the guys they've really wanted are are just probably not wanting to maybe be a backup. And and that's the tricky thing about having a really good offensive line coming back. Um, I guess I should mention, too, we, we said it was likely that Juice Scruggs would enter the NFL since accepting the Shrine game. He did say in the press conference that he hasn't made a decision yet. So... Although we still think that's likely going to be an NFL decision, get the, officially the decision hasn't been made yet. Cornerback, uh, uh, what's his name again, Sean? That I want to, I don't even know if I have it on there. The the guy from Wake Forest that that seems to be picking up some serious steam. Uh, Gavin, 
Yeah, he's uh, visiting soon. Yes, he put it out there. Visiting Gavin uh, Holmes. Gavin Holmes, thank you. I think he's w- visiting the first weekend in January. Second weekend is it the eighth yeah. and eleventh? Something like that. Yep. Yeah. So that would be it. Would be big to bring him on board because I, I, in my opinion, we need another cornerback. Yeah. Seven January seventh through eighth, he will be visiting uh, Penn State. Most covered snaps without allowing a catch among Power Five corners. Gavin Holmes was first with forty-one. So I think yeah, he's I think he's visiting Texas at some point too. So you got to keep an eye out there um, if anything happens there. Receivers, Sean. We talked about Dante Cephas a bunch in the last couple episodes. I just want to reiterate. I think they in home visited him. I think this one, I mean, Penn State's probably done as much as they can at this point. I think he's either going to commit soon or it's going to be it. I mean, I, I which I think it, it's probably going to be a commit for Penn State. I just don't know what else Penn State can do. He's visited. They have visited. I, I don't, I think this one, I would feel pretty good if you're a Penn State fan, but I mean, this one probably should happen next couple of days if it's going to happen. Yeah, right now, I mean, it looks like the momentum's in Penn State's favor, and they pro- And if I were to guess right now, Dante Cephas would be coming to Penn State. Um, but I don't think it's a sure thing, as most things aren't sure things in the portal, especially in 2022, with as much NIL money being thrown around and all that. So I do think he ends up at Penn State, um, but... You like Corey said. I think you would like to see this get wrapped up in the next few days. Yeah, let's go to Dante Thornton next. I think he's visiting. I want to say he's visiting Miami. Yeah, and I saw he was just at Auburn. Yeah, he's been at Auburn. So, I mean, maybe it's because he's already familiar with Penn State, but I don't. I don't know. I don't know where this one's leaning at all. I don't know if anyone really knows where this one's leaning. So. Pay attention to this one, but I think maybe Dante Thornton took a step down on their personal board because of this next guy, and that's Caden Prather, who I think Maryland's still very involved. But uh, I, I don't, I, I don't know, Sean. I mean, you think this would have been a, a slam? One of these guys, you think would have came to Penn State, or or at least would be severely interested? I just don't know how much of the interest is really there. I think Prather's very interested. I don't know about Thornton, though. I think Thornton, I mean, I haven't really seen much in Penn State's direction with him. I think Prather's really interested, though. I think Cephas is really interested. And if they could land both those guys, that's huge for next year because they, and they, they both give you a little something different. Like Prather is a more physical type receiver and Cephas, you know, has that definitely has some wheels. So, um, I, so I would love to be able to land both of these guys. Um, I think Corey and I basically agree that we wouldn't want three receivers, but we would definitely, but we probably need two. So if you were able to bring in two high quality guys like this, I think you'd take that any day of the week. Yep, yep, I think so too. I, and again, I think cornerback is very much involved as well. Um, 
But I think the focus is on a 2023 class at this point, and the portal will probably pick up again, probably pick up quite a bit after that. But we'll have to wait and see there. Uh, any other final thoughts, Sean, on the 2023 class or the portal? Well, I mean, I just want to say this will be the first full recruiting class Corey and I have covered together. So yay to us. And um, yeah, this, this I really like the way they're ending this class because bef- right before the season started, really, it, I'm not saying it's like a nosedive or anything, but it we lost a lot of momentum on the, on the recruiting trail. We had some decommitments. We had some guys that we really thought were going to end up at Penn State, not end up at Penn State. And I think it kind of took the wind out of the recruiting sales a little bit. But now you see the way that it's wrapping up and that it could wrap up even better. And we could end up as, I think right now we're 12. We could end up 11. Uh, conceivably, yeah, that, that that's a really strong way to end the class. And I know nobody feels bad for James Franklin with how much he gets paid and everything, but the amount of time and effort and just commitment that Pete's put into this class, especially in the month of December, I mean, you have to give him all the credit in, in the world. I know his plane actually broke down in Florida. Um, a fun little story from media day too, that we forgot to mention. Uh, and he had to get to Fort Lauderdale and he actually hitched a ride with Dabo Sweeney, uh, who was flying down there for the orange bowl, um, media or, or some media function for the orange bowl. So, I thought that was an interesting aside, and it's because they're getting they're getting the most out of the private jet miles. So, um, you know, he's been all over, and not just him, but the whole staff in general. So, really, really strong way to end the class. Yeah, yeah. from Kansas to Florida to to out west, yeah, they've been everywhere, plane, helicopter, car, everything. So. Yeah, we'll we'll have a lot more on Wednesday night again. Early signing day starts Wednesday. At Hardcore PSUFB is the best place to be. I'll probably have the Twitter up all day on Wednesday. Just kind of, it's just going to be a frenzy of, of whatnot. So, uh, so pay attention there, and we'll be back Wednesday night to to break some of this down. So, hope everyone has a fantastic week. I hope you have a fantastic rest of your Sunday, Sean. Any final thoughts before we skedaddle? You're muted. I was like, uh, enjoy. <laughs> yeah, enjoy the NFL today. Look for Spence guys in the NFL, and yeah, everybody have a have a really good Sunday. Make it a Sunday fun day. Sunday fun day. Uh, yeah, make sure you like the video if you're watching on YouTube and you subscribe to wherever you're listening, whether it's on YouTube or on whatever podcast directory. Drop a five star review. Get a free sticker. Uh, we we'll, can check Twitter a little bit later. I'll probably get the giveaway thing started. So uh, that's all we have for Sean Kane. I'm Corey Lestoki. You've been listening to Hardcore Penn State Football. See you guys later. Bye, guys.